0: With over a million and a half downloads monthly, these tickets will sell out. So keep an eye on our social media pages and check the podcast bio for direct links to purchase yours as soon as they're released on Friday, May 10. I can't wait to see you there.
1: Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget?
0: We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which this podcast is recorded. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and to Aboriginal elders emerging. The following podcast contains content of a graphic, violent nature and is not suitable for children.
2: You know, there were very, very dark days. I was dealing ICE at a high profile, and, you know, I was dealing to police as well.
0: Simon Fennick is a man who does nothing by halves. So even though there was nothing about his childhood or youth that made him a typical candidate for jail, in a way it's not surprising that soon after trying meth for the first time, he became a massive addict and serious dealer. He's always been an overachiever.
1: This is Australian True Crime with Michelle Laurie and Emily Webb. Come with us as we go beyond the news cycle to find out how people become killers, how people become victims and what happens next.
0: Even during our latest pandemic lockdown, Simon is still overachieving, in my opinion. His first book has been released. It's a memoir called Breaking Good. And the not-for-profit that is his passion, Fruit to Work, is still functioning, though not in the way that he'd like it to be. And that is really frustrating for him. He does not like being held back.
2: I haven't even taken the time to go back over my book since it's been published. I, uh, I've got a brain fog. You know, since, since this COVID 19 has come in, the whole world has changed. My world has changed. Went from helping a lot of people and seeing growth to everything being stumped and having to let people go. You know, it's terrible. Yeah, but you're doing stuff though,
0: aren't you? You're delivering food. And when I read that, I thought, God, at least you have an opportunity to be helpful and feel useful to people. Like I feel like that's a big part of what's missing for a lot of us is for just feeling so useless.
2: Yeah, I, I understand both sides of the fence, yeah? So a part of me feels useless because I'm not doing the normally that I normally do, but, you know, and a part of me, I feel, I feel very lucky to be contributing in, in many other ways. Yeah?
0: Yeah. What are you doing now? Tell us about the fruit delivery.
2: Uh, do you know much about Fruit to Work?
0: No, no, nothing. Okay.
2: So so Fruit to Work is uh, a non for profit social enterprise that provides meaningful employment, uh, meaningful transitional employment for those who have been touched by the justice system.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So everybody who's employed at Fruit to Work has been uh, touched by the, the justice system in one way or another. It's been going for three and a half years. And in that time, not one person has gone back to prison. Wow. So if you look at the statistics being 47.5% of people released from prison go back within the first two years, would be 100% successful to this day when no one's gone back to prison.
0: I don't expect you to know this statistic off the top of your head, but the statistic of people who end up in the prison system who also were in the foster system, who've been in the youth justice system, and most of the kids who end up in youth justice were originally the subjects of family violence orders. The statistics are huge, aren't they?
2: probably This is probably the end of the conversation, which I'll, I'll hit up first. My, my true north, something that, that, that I've just discovered or, or discovered a couple of years ago is I like to make my personal true north is I like to make men better fathers. You know, I, my, my personal belief and that's my personal belief: is a lot of messed up kids come from messed up parents, or you know, their idea of of a paycheck was their mama did wait for a settling payment, or waiting for dad to come home with some hot gear or or, or or some drugs, yeah, yeah. So that's the belief of fruit to work is coming home in a high-vis shirt and and a pay packet and a box of fruit, yeah. As silly as that sounds being a contributing member to the community again is a perfect example for these, you know, know, two or three sets of eyes looking at that one individual who's changed their life.
0: No, I get that. It's hard to imagine things you've never seen, hey? 100%.
2: You know, and the the struggles that we come across with guys and girls that, that start working with us, you know, some guys and girls that work with us have never had a job. They don't know what it's like to arrive at work on time. They don't know what it's like to, to, to move at a, at a timely manner. That, you know, even, even little things, because they've never had a father in their life or a role model in their life, uh, a lot of our work is driving. So change a tyre, you know, um, they, they don't know how to change a tyre. Um, so they're the sort of things that you don't read out of a book that, that we, we get to teach guys and girls at Learn.
0: But now what are you doing for other people right now in this terrible situation?
2: Right at this moment in time, the base of our business is delivering fruit and milk to workplaces, offices, factories and infrastructure. Now, infrastructure is still going, so that's still going strong. Uh, So we're still delivering to infrastructure, but as you can imagine, there's nobody in the offices. So our business has, has dropped about 65%. So in this, in this time, we've actually joined forces with numerous other social enterprises. They've all banded together and uh, called themselves Moving Feast. And what they're doing, they're, they're growing vegetables, they're buying vegetables, they're packing vegetables, packing uh, groceries, we're delivering fruit to work delivering food parcels, to people's homes. We had a big lockdown in Melbourne where all the, the high-rise flats were, were locked down. We delivered 1,500 food parcels uh, there in two days, which we packed and delivered. We also delivered 3,000 meals there and eat every evening, which were cooked by the soup kitchens that we delivered fresh fruit and vegetables to. Um, so we we're, were just doing our bit, you know, for a bunch of, of guys and girls who have come out of, the, out of the prison system and all given back. So it's a, it's a great feeling.
0: You pivoted, mate. That's called pivoting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, that, that sounds enormous to me. So at the beginning of our conversation, you were lamenting that you're not able to do the enormity of what you normally do, you know. So what is it that you're normally doing? What's this stopped you from doing?
2: What we normally do is we pull somebody out of the justice system that wants a chance. Yeah, we say second chance, but it's not about a second chance. It could be a third chance or a fourth, fourth chance. So we pull somebody out of the justice system who wants a chance at changing their life, leaving that life behind them. And, and it's like watching a toddler start to walk. So, you know, you, you see that guy or girl Get into the workforce. You, you see them come home with that paycheck. You see them bring their family together. They get their kids back in their lives. You know, when, when it's a public holiday, you see them take their family away. Um, I get photos of guys taking their family away on the public holidays, cooking barbecues. Guys at our work at Christmas time are comparing their layby receipts, <laughs> showing showing each other what they bought for their kids, and they're very excited what that what they bought for their kids at Christmas time. Yeah, where. They've spent the last five Christmases in jail or, or, or any money they've had at Christmas time they've spent on drugs. Mm. Yeah. But they're actually excited because they're doing the right thing for once. Yeah. And they've, they've, got, they've got goals, they've got hopes, and, 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 and they're reaching the goals that, that, that they're aiming for.
0: So where are they now? Why are you unable to do that now? Is it that you don't have the capacity, you don't have the work available now?
2: No, no, we, we 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 we're still doing that, but we're not we're not turning our we're not turning over as as, as much as we normally turn over. So when I when I said that we're transitional, we we keep um, we we keep um, guys roughly for around six months. So um, it could be three months, it could be twelve months. Whenever we think that individual's ready, and whenever they think they're ready, we try and transition them into full time employment. With the state the way it is, it hasn't been the work. So
0: yeah. Hard to get keep that transition, keep things just moving forward.
2: Moving forward, exactly. In every way. Exactly, yeah.
0: Oh, gosh, that's hard, right? So does that mean that you're unable to then bring on new people at the moment?
2: Yeah, it's almost a catch-22 as well. Um, with the, the the government paying the work for the Dole scheme, a, a lot of people don't want to come to work for one or two days a week. Which is
0: fair enough. I can't fault them, to be honest. Well,
2: yes and no. I really take my head off to the ones that are applying for work um, at this time, because you know, if if, if they're getting paid five hundred and fifty dollars to stay home, and and they're willing to come to to work for one or two days a week, yeah, that really stands out to me. For the same
0: amount of money, yeah, you're right. But, I, I, but yeah, or less, less. I don't know. I don't know. I can't. Yeah. I can't ask you to take less money, can I? That's hard.
2: Everyone's very fearful of COVID-19. Yeah, know?
0: mate. Yeah, I, I'm very fearful of leaving the house. And so at the moment, yeah, I'd be fearful of going anywhere to work. I'm lucky I can work from home.
2: So so, we've, so at the moment we've got two, two guys in particular who are um, today they're doing 50 deliveries each, delivering to vulnerable people to their front door in, in, in the hotspots, you know, Fortunately for us, we, you know, we wear masks, we wear gloves, we, we sanitise and we, we, we just knock on the front door and, and, and leave. But, you know, they're taking a risk as well and, and yet they're, they're willing to come to work, you know. Um, both those guys are ex-addicts but, but hungry for change, you know. Great effort.
0: We need to talk about your journey, as they would say, if this was a reality TV show. Yeah. So tell us about it. You wanna start from the start? Let's start from the very start. I mean, we've talked a lot already about the way this happens a lot of the time. We've talked a lot about statistics. So where do you fit in the statistics? How was your childhood?
2: I had a great childhood. I um, I had great parents. I, I grew up on a farm. I pretty much grew up an only child because my, my, my um, I had two older brothers who were thirteen and sixteen years older than me. So I had a really good upbringing, really good really good family, very close to my dad. When my dad was about 55, he had a massive heart attack. I watched him have a heart attack and, and, and we nearly lost him. His work retired him, so they put him out to pasture. So I'd come home from school and I spent a lot of time with my dad. My dad would put a lot of time into me. My dad wasn't a real educated man. He, he, uh, he only went to school to grade three, but he was very knowledgeable. So he put a lot of time into me. As time went on. Uh I I started working, I started I started doing really well. I started training. I was um I started kickboxing as a sport. I started doing very well. My dad was my number one supporter. I think I had about twelve fights for ten wins and two losses. I was a two-time Australian kickboxing champion, a South Pacific champion, and my dad was the number one fan. My dad my dad suffered pancreatic cancer and died, and and passed away. Oh,
0: it's the worst, isn't it? It's it's so fast, and it's it's a shock because did he seem like completely healthy, and then all of a sudden you get this terrible news, and it's fast, and it's wasting, and it's just like you yeah. can't believe it.
2: Yeah, and it's and it's suffering. So you know, I, I believe growing up on the farm, it, when it was a, a dog that would suffer like that, you'd you'd put the dog down. Yeah.
0: I said this exact same thing a year ago when my father was dying. I couldn't believe it. I was like, "How do we let this happen to humans? We wouldn't let it happen to a
2: dog." On, on my dad's dying weeks, I, I grabbed a pillow and put it over his face, and I didn't know—I didn't know what he wanted me to do because you know I um, he, he, he brought me up fairly tough, you know. But as I put the pillow over his face, he he, he, he grabbed my hand, you know, and to this day I I, I never knew what he wanted me to do. You know, so it's You know, so yeah. So I lost my dad. I was married, two kids, worked two jobs. Always, always believed in doing the right thing. After I lost my dad, I, I sort of went off track a little bit. I thought there was more to life. I thought I was missing out on something. You know, if if, if this is if this is what life was about, you know, so I went off the rails a, a little bit then. I remarried. Yeah,
0: yeah. What do you mean by went off the rails, though? I mean, you know, yeah, okay, I remarried, so that gives us a bit of a hint.
2: Yeah, well, I, I, so because I, I spent most of my life training, so all my teenage years and early 20s, I, I, I spent training. I never went to nightclubs. I never did any of that, right? I started doing this, this kickboxing. I found myself being fairly liked and a little bit popular and the attention, the attention went to my head, you know. I I, uh, I started bouncing, started doing a little bit of security, and yeah, I yeah, uh, I like that lifestyle a bit too much, you know.
0: Yeah, it's uh, super fun. I get it. It's awesome. So you're out and about at night time. There's heaps of yeah. girls and all that. It's fun. Yeah. But like, so were you drinking? Were you taking drugs? What, what was happening no, on that side of things?
2: No, no, well, well, I just I just I, I just enjoyed the lifestyle. Mm. I, I started working working in a strip club. Great. Uh, yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, I I just started delving my foot in in that in that rough lifestyle. Yeah, you know, I always knew that I had a family at home. Always had my dad in the back of my head. And I wanted to keep out of trouble. Yeah.
0: What What year was this, by the way? Uh, this
2: was two thousand.
0: Okay, in Melbourne. Yeah, Melbourne. So we got gangsters around the place. And yeah, yeah, it's yeah, all that. Yeah. yeah,
2: okay. Just as all, just as all that underbelly stuff started started to happen. Okay, yeah. Yep. Anyway, I, re- I remarried. I started working for a leading supermarket chain. Had a great job. I was earning the best money I ever I ever made. I was on like one hundred and thirty grand a year driving trucks. Best job I've ever had. And then I got injured, so I went from being fit as a fiddle to I got struck in the back with a forklift. My two lower discs were crushed and I was in a wheelchair. A new wife, um, yeah, new beautiful wife, big house, Mercedes Benz, Harley Davidson, um, and in in, in a wheelchair. You know, I I sort of believed that that was karma. I I, I really, I really believed that that was karma for for, for leaving my wife, really what I thought. So I paid out on myself pretty hard for a long period of time. The doctors gave me all these different medications, every, every medication you can think of. I, I was on 12 different medications a day, ranging from muscle relaxants to nerve relaxants, sleeping tablets, painkillers, antidepressants. You know, I was even on Viagra. Nothing, nothing worked, <laughs> you know. Um, here I am with this new wife and nothing worked, you know. <laughs> it wasn't good. Couldn't even make it upstairs to the, to the bedroom. So I had to sleep in a spare room downstairs. I tried spinal therapy, acupuncture, uh, hydrotherapy, chiropractic, physio, everything, everything I tried, nothing worked. And uh, one day out of the blue, a friend of mine came around, heard that I'd been doing it fairly tough, uh, heard what happened to me, and he came came around with a bit of marijuana and he said, hey, Simon, I heard this is great for pain. You know, I, I'd always known that that's, that's the sort of stuff he does, you know. He said, why don't you try, try, try a bit of this, you know? So I had a couple of drags of this, this marijuana and thought, oh, I don't like this, you know? This, this, this slow feeling actually makes me concentrate on my pain even worse, you, you know? Didn't like it, you know? I said, no, nah, this is not for me, you know? He said, oh, you know, it was worth a try. So he disappears and a couple of weeks later he, uh, he comes back, and he goes, you still look like, you know, you still don't look well. I've got, i got something else. I'd like you to try. So what do you got? He goes, I've got, got some ice. They yeah, like this low feeling. This stuff works miracles. And you know, I, I tried speed back in the day when, when I was, when I was younger. Um, and he said, he goes, it's just like speed. He goes, but it's a tad stronger. That's okay, Let's, let's give it a crack. Let's show me how it's done and and that was the beginning of the end for me that it was it took that one good proper puff to, to 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 have me addicted um that one proper puff made all the hair stand up on on the, on all the hair stand up over my body that euthoric feeling you know um my pain was 70% instantly gone so i went from you know, barely being able to get off the couch to being able to stand up and walk around a little bit, yeah. Um, So um, I thought that was fantastic. You know, I had another little puff after that and then I was up for two days, two days straight from that one, you know, it was $100 worth back then. I, I, I thought that was, I just thought that was just like an instant cure yeah um you know i uh i thought I- i'm going gonna- to going to keep going with this yeah so i i end up uh, throwing the doctor's medications in the bin and i thought i'm going to self medicate on ice daily and that's what i did i i i i, I started using ice daily i i uh, threw the doctor's medications in the bin the problem was that i started needing more and more every day and the only way i could I could afford that was to start dealing. It was like a deal or steal. I never made a very good thief, so dealing was the way to go. To deal, I started dealing with some unsavory characters. Whilst dealing, I got shot, I got stabbed. I opened up a, um, a little wrecking yard, employed people all on ice. It was a 24-hour operation, you know. Started dealing out of the workshop. I was shot in the thigh. I was stabbed three times in the back of the neck with three guys trying to rob me for for drugs and money wasn't too long after that my, my my brother died. My brother started working for me, driving one of my tow trucks. He was using as well, but at, at the age of 48.
0: Was he using before, I mean, did you get him onto meth?
2: No, 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 no. So, so, so my brother was, uh, he used to be an interstate truck driver. Okay. He used to use speed back in the day. He, he had a heart attack at the service station and dropped dead. Oh, no. And then three months after... He passed away. My mother died of dementia. So that, that darkness is, you know, I'm just using more and more ice. Twelve months after my mother died, I got with a, a girl, a lady uh, who was friends with benefits. But we, we, we had a little girl, and at six days old, she, my, my daughter passed away. Oh no! She, she, she looked perfect. She was born perfect. She was a, a, a beautiful little girl. But when, when she was born, she was born with the umbilical cord around her neck, and she never had enough brain function to power her own heart and lungs. And that was the final straw for me. When when, when we turned that machine off, actually w- when I put her coffin in the ground, uh, it was a, a little pink coffin that we um, that we took off the back seat of, her, uh, back seat of the limousine. Uh, when I put her, her, her coffin in the ground, that was the end of of it all for me. That was the darkest of days. I uh, I had five suicide attempts uh, after that day. How I'm still here, I, I I never know. I um, you know, I stood out in front of a truck. A truck hit me, threw, threw me sixteen meters in the air. I, I put a loaded shotgun in my mouth, you know, and and the shotgun went off. How I'm still here, I I, I don't know.
0: How much were you sleeping? I mean, I'm thinking about all of this happening through the filter of the sleep deprivation that happens when you're using a lot of ice.
2: Do you know I think in I think in four years I was lucky to have slept an hour or two a day. Yeah. Lucky. Maybe fifteen minutes here and there
0: it's very hard to cope with all, all, you know anything on that much yes. sleep that little sleep but to be coping with this level of emotional trauma
2: yeah you, you don't you, you don't sleep how how are you supposed to function yeah you know how he's supposed to make a half a right a half a proper decision you know mm. what, what what was i thinking you know
0: plus the fear level of the industry i'll call it yeah. that you were working in yeah. where people are constantly you're under threat a lot
2: yeah, and, and it was under threat from both. So it was under threat from the police, and it was under threat from from the criminals. And you know, I I respect the police. I, I I have nothing against the police, but there are a lot of corrupt police too. Yeah, and and my book will explain that. Yeah,
0: yeah, and certainly around that period, early two thousands, I mean, police yeah. were going to prison quite a bit. The drug squad were, yeah.
2: In, in my book, there's a there's there's a particular case of police corruption. You know. I was dealing ice at a high profile, and you know I was dealing to police as well. So you know I'm not proud of the things I did. You know there were very very dark days. I got raided numerous times. I bought myself a shotgun after I got shot and stabbed. The police found that. Uh, they found drugs because ice has its own ice has its own uh, currency. So you know you swap anything for ice. You know, I would swap stolen goods for ICE, you know, so police would come to find stolen goods. You know, after two or three times, I ended up in jail.
0: For, for things like that, for receiving stolen goods and uh, and trafficking and, and so you can cop yeah. a few charges when they come and, and raid you.
2: Yeah, and they found a loaded gun, so right, do you, okay. do you blame them? You know, I deserve to go to jail.
0: Thank you to our patrons, particularly those of you who've been joining us for our True Crime Netflix parties on Saturday nights over the last few weeks. No Netflix and chill for us this Saturday night, of course, because we'll be live streaming with Julia Robson from Chasing Charlie and Andrew Rule, and you can grab tickets to join us for that at our Facebook page. Thank you especially to these patrons, Cat Cat Meow, Glenn Roberts, Kaz and Tori Finley-Burns, Shani Chi, Mandy Leap Jarvis, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Coming up on Australian True Crime, Simon Fennick tells us about the accommodation the Department of Corrections kindly lined up for him upon his release from prison. But first, We learn more about the seemingly unstoppable chain of events that led him there. Did you have a relationship with your older children at this stage?
2: I did have a a relationship before my back injury. Once I started using, it was really hard to maintain that relationship. You know, the drugs came first. Today I'm disgusted and embarrassed and ashamed to say that, but it's the truth. The drugs came first. I was always... I'd arrange to see him, but I'd have to wait for somebody to come and drop gear off, tra- come and drop cash off, or come and pick up gear. Yeah, and that there's no set time for for a drug dealer. Like you know, if someone's going to deliver you drugs and say they're going to be there at two o'clock, you can bet your bottom dollar that two o'clock is eight o'clock at night. Yeah. Yeah. That's just, that's just
0: how it is. Of course. Yeah, so you've started to rack up a few charges at least and convictions, I guess. Yep. I guess that would snowball pretty quickly too, wouldn't it? You'd go Very. from yeah, from never from having no convictions to suddenly heaps.
2: Yeah, and then just stupid things like driving unlicensed, yes. driving unregistered cars, you know. And the deeper, once you break the law once, it just, uh, it just keeps happening, just small things, but you just keep getting into trouble you know which which tell you out
0: and the other thing someone said to me once was when you're a drug addict you don't understand that it's the drugs that are creating the chaos like you think to yourself why is all of this happening but it takes it takes you such a long time to realize it's because i'm using drugs it's the drugs that are creating you. can you relate to that
2: yeah 100% and, and even even just little things with with the just the people that you associate with Mm. Who, who who you think that they're your friends, you, you know, they're just as, as messed up, if not more messed up, than you are. Yeah, um, and
0: they bring chaos. And Yeah, they bring, they bring chaos. And, and, and
2: I look at how messed up my life was and I actually remember that whole time how much I actually really tried to help people. So even in my factory, my factory was almost like a bed and breakfast where anyone who had nowhere to sleep yeah, well, could come and stay at my factory. They would steal things off me, you know. I'd give them a feed. It, it, I spent my time trying to help the wrong people. Yeah,
0: and they I'm sure, you know, they don't want to rip you off. They like you. They genuinely like you and they appreciate it. But they're desperate. They desperate. need money. They, yeah, they're desperate.
2: The addiction the, the is so strong, you know. Do you
0: remember going to jail for the first time? Did you detox in jail? I know that drugs are easy to come by and that, but I always imagine like when you're in the map, for example, in the assessment prison, is it easy to get hold of your drugs in there or, or are you detoxing in there?
2: Yeah, if I can honestly tell you, the worst place, the worst prison I went to was the sub, which is the custody centre underneath the magistrate's court. Yeah. So that's that's where they, that's where they lock you uh, when you first, while you're waiting for bail. It's uh, no no daylight. You're locked there for up to two weeks. You're in a cell with up to six people, one toilet. You, you eat, you sleep, you, you know, you, um, and you're all in that one room. It, it stinks. Everyone's either coming down off drugs or alcohol. It is putrid.
0: I oh, in one toilet when everyone's coming down and detoxing. Yeah.
2: Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No mattresses. You get three pillow, three look uh, cushions of a sofa. Three you get to sleep on. No pillows. You get one blanket. You you, you wait till look, the next guy moves on to see if you can pinch his blanket. You know, it's the food comes from another prison, so you, it's just absolutely putrid. And, and if that's not an awakening for you to want to stay out of prison, you know, I, I I didn't have many sentences in prison. You know, I, I went there. I got bail. I got bail a couple of times. Went there, got bail a couple of times, and then I I ended up in jail, and that was enough for me. My first time in, in in the map, the map actually wasn't too too bad compared to remand. Remand was terrible. I went to the Melbourne Remand Centre just after they had the riots, and it was a twenty two hour lockdown. So after coming off eight an eight year drug habit, losing your mother, father, brother, and daughter. And masking all those years of grief with drugs, being a smoker and not being able to smoke, it was a big wake-up call. And having 22 hours of your own time to yourself, um, wow, I I fought my demons in that prison cell. Yeah.
0: Yes. You're reminding me now of a young man we spoke to called Greg who also had an ice addiction and he, he had lost his sister and he talked about that he talked about this moment of confronting the grief that he had never ever confronted and he confronted it in jail yeah. so yes yeah. tell us about that moment of having to to face up to all of that grief
2: it it, it really just hit me all, all at once you know i had i mm. like when my mom had dementia we put her into a, a retirement village or a, 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 a home for, the, for a short period of time, and I used to still drive past that home after she'd passed away, being a user, still thinking that she was still in there, right? So didn't it accept, so that's the key word, accept. I never accepted the fact that, that these that my family, nearly every one of my family members had died. So when I, when I actually, you know, when I actually, when my mind started to regenerate these chemicals and started to clear Having to accept the fact that 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 I had lost my you know my my mother and father, and my brother, and my daughter was 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 very hard. So so I, I knew I needed help there and then. I, yeah, I knew I was lost there and then, and I knew that my way wasn't working. So that's when I persisted every day. I would go knock on the screws desk and say, "Listen." Can I get into a course? Are there any courses today? You know, is, is there anything I can get into that um, that can help me? And if you've got a good screw, the screw would have a look and see if there were any cancellations because a lot of these courses have a seven-month waiting list, yeah? So if you've got a good screw, he'd have a look. If, if you've got a bad screw, he'd tell you where to go, yeah? But if you've got a good screw, he'd, he'd, he'd have a look and all he had to do was pick up the phone and say, look, would Simon come down to this course today? In, in my time in Remand, I did about 11 or 12 courses, only short courses, two day courses, you know, four hour courses, but they were tools, tools for me to cope with what I had gone through, tools for me to use to, to, to help my head understand what, what I had been through.
0: Did that stick for you, that from that beginning of facing your trauma and your emotions and your grief? Did it really stick from that day forward?
2: That and the fact of going from living in a or owning a 50-square home with five bedrooms and an ensuite in every bedroom to being in a stinky, dirty jail cell, you know, with a, with a two-inch mattress. You know, there's nothing, there's nothing nice about being in jail, you know, and I think the worst part about being in jail is listening to other people in jail listen to the rubbish that they, that they can talk, you know, talk about the crimes that they've committed and the crimes that they're still going to commit,
3: Yeah,
2: you know, and, and they're not all like that, not by any means, but there are a lot. Yeah.
0: Yeah, because a lot of blokes do just think, oh, well, when I get out of here I'll just be better at what I was doing. That, I just made a few mistakes. That's how I got in here, yeah. but I won't make them again. I'll get out. I'll sell more drugs. That's how I'll get my big house back. Yeah. I'll just sell drugs better and I'll get a nice house going, and a lot of people think
2: that way. A lot of them don't know any better. A lot of them yeah. think they do a rort from, you know, from rot to rort is how, is how they make their money, you know, and, and a lot of them are, are in that world of hopelessness that, you know, they get out of jail and, and, and they can't get a job. You know, I, I was almost that desperate, you know, I, when, I, when I was released from prison, I was going to the Uniting Church for food parcels because I was hungry. You know, the doll was was I was released on Centrelink uh, benefits. I still had a corrections order to fulfill. So I had a, an 18-month corrections order where I had to do 380 hours community work, a mental health program, a drug and alcohol program, a men's behaviour change program. I had judicial monitoring. I had to see my case worker and as well as try and get a job. And, and, you know, my rent was costing me $200 a week and I was living off $60 a week. How are you going to survive?
0: Yeah, and try and reestablish a relationship with your kids as well where you want yeah. to be able to take them to Hungry Jack's or something. It,
2: exactly. Yeah. You know, I asked my daughter when I, when I got out of jail, where do you want to go? And she said the pancake parlour. Oh. You know, so... It's I, expensive, I, man.
0: <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah.
2: laughs> you no, know, I, I took him to the pancake parlour, but that was, that was my whole my whole fortnight's allowance. Yeah. yeah? um yeah do you think
0: so do you think it was the difference for you also was that you had that modeling that we were talking about earlier like you had seen and you'd lived in a family where people went to work had jobs and all that so you knew how to do that again
2: a hundred percent I I think I was blessed in the fact that you know for starters I had been there once before I had I had owned the homes I had the jobs I had that family life so I knew I knew what to aim for when I got out, you know, where where a lot of guys and girls haven't had that.
0: And actually that one worked for you, didn't it? And the, yeah. and the meth life didn't, yeah, so no. you could see clearly which one yeah. worked.
2: Yeah. 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 hundred percent. So what happened was I, I, I got out of jail, uh, desperate for a job, applied I think for, for, for 12 or 14 jobs, every job I applied for, you know, when you tell them that you can only do two days a week or that you just came out of jail or that you had a back injury, you know, doors closed.
0: Those are a few things, yeah.
2: Yeah. When I went and saw my caseworker, told her how desperate I was, told her that, hey, I'm that desperate, I'm hungry. I went to go get a food parcel this week and they said, no, you can't have one because you got one last week. you only allowed one once a fortnight, right? Yeah. I'm that desperate, I'm going to go back to dealing, right? But I don't want to die yeah i i i just got my head right i i i have got my goals in place i, I don't want to die yeah I, I and i don't want to go back to jail so, so can you help me and it, it just so happens that fruit to work to put a flyer through to say hey we've got one job available yeah one job available for someone who who wants to deliver fruit starting at one thirty in the morning two days a week yeah i applied for the job i got it you know, I worked my way up from picking and packing fruit. But today I, I'm, I'm the operations manager of the business and, you know, I do everything from business development to to, to mentoring. Today I consider myself uh, a very lucky lucky man.
0: How many years? How many years ago was that?
2: Three and a half years.
0: No, is that all?
2: Yeah.
0: I thought yeah. you were going to say 13,
2: no, 20. No, no, no. No, you know, I climbed the pyramid in a, in a very short time. And, and it wasn't easy, it, it, you know. One of the biggest challenges I, I, I came across was I had nowhere to live when I got out of prison. I, I've only got one living relative left, and that was my brother, and he's a justice of the peace, right? So he made it very clear that he would help me in any way that he could, but I wasn't to live with him, right? But that's fine. So he picked me up from jail, and that was in sale. Um, he took me to the boarding house that the prison had organised for me, Um, When we got to this boarding house in Melbourne's West, we knocked on the door, this lady opened the door and she was off her face on heroin. She was smashed, right? And she's pointing me down to the hallway. She's slurring her words. She's saying, you must be here for the room. And she was a really big lady. One eye open, one eye, actually one eye was looking one way, another eye looking another way, right? And I said, yeah, I'm here for the room. And she's unlocking these three padlocks on the door. And she's saying, listen, you've got to lock your door every time you go to the toilet because everything goes missing in this house. And she said that your room smells like urine because the bloke in the in the room next door urinates on the wall and it goes into your room.
0: Oh.
2: And, and she and she opens up her door, opens up his door, and the smell of urine knocked me for a six. Oh. I just got out of jail and, and the toilets in jail smelled cleaner than that bedroom. You know, there was... It was the accommodation was a mattress and base. Uh, the mattress was blood filled. It had a big, dirty brown blood patch right in the middle of it, and there were syringes on the carpet. Oh, and that was where I was supposed to start my new life. You know,
0: did he leave you there?
2: No, 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 no. no. no he didn't. He didn't let me go live with him. But he he, he actually he put up he put up money because they they took they took the money out of my Centrelink for that as well. So they took one month in, in advance,
0: yeah,
2: out of my Centrelink. But he, you know. He lent me the money um, and put me into a better boarding house, uh, a nice, clean, drug drug free boarding house. If I never had that one person in the world, that one man who never gave up hope, um, I, I, I probably wouldn't be here today. That one man, that just that, and that's probably the one of the most powerful messages in the book. You know, for all these people that have family that are addicted to, to ice. Don't think that you have to spend money on that person to help him.
0: Or it doesn't have to be all or nothing, you know, like I respect his boundary yeah. at saying I can't have you live with me yeah. because he was he didn't know. He wasn't to know that you were going to make it and, you know, we have to respect that that was going to be a big risk for him and his family and all that stuff.
2: Yeah, that's
0: you right. You know, but he still wasn't going to leave you in that
2: place. No. Oh,
0: and, and he still came to pick you up, you know. That's good boundaries, I think.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah he's, he's he's a very level-headed man, you know. Yeah. And if it, if it wasn't for him, I, I wouldn't be here today.
0: Good on him. Do you see a lot of that when you're working with people? Are there a lot of people who who don't have that one person in their lives?
2: Many, 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 plenty. So so what what I've, what I've tried to be a part of is last year, uh, for the first time ever, um, there's been a I think. The, the put together which is peer mentoring for prisoners where prisoners can go back behind the walls and and mentor other prisoners so for the first time ever they're letting ex-prisoners go back behind the walls and and mentor prisoners and it's 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 had a had a great response whether they whether they run it in all prisons or not i'm not too sure but there's a lot of people that just just need a bit of guidance you know the they just need a, a you know a, um, a bit of advice or, or or someone that can relate to them to say hey this is how you can get through this this is what I would do uh, every, everyone needs everyone needs that somebody yeah? uh, and everybody needs a job and everybody needs a roof over their head that's the biggest gap yeah is employment and housing
0: and a decent roof too a decent roof
2: you know yeah, a decent roof you know? h- h- how do you expect to turn up for a job if you're sleeping uh, in the street
0: or if you're sleeping on a bloodstained mattress that stinks of piss like yeah, how do we exactly. expect anybody to respect themselves and respect the world around them and give the world a go if they live in there
2: but but fancy the jail sending you there yeah yeah you know fancy to the jail even sending you there here you are you know probably still withdrawing from drugs or or trying to avoid the temptation and the, yes and and, and you, know, you can't tell me they don't know what happens in those houses. They right. do. If
0: ever, if ever I wanted to self-medicate and try to avoid life and try to deal with my depression, it would be in that room, and old mate out the front can hook me up. Yeah, exactly. Ridiculous. Exactly. Yeah, you know, That's, you're not exactly set up to succeed, are and, you? And,
2: and and you are very you are very right about the amount of drugs in jail because there are plenty of drugs in jail. Mm. You know. Plenty, plenty of uh, illegal and plenty illegal. You know the the amount of scripted drugs in jail. The the queue, the queue for the for the for the med line used to be a mile long. But, you know they, they would queue up for their their whole break, in the, an, an hour for just to get their meds every day. Hmm. You know,
0: yeah, it's not a wellness retreat, is it?
2: No, <laughs> not at all. Definitely not.
0: I know what our listeners will say. They will send me messages and go, "I want to support Simon. How can I do that?" By the book, <laughs> breaking good. Definitely by the book. And how can they support the program? How can they
2: support what you do? If they've got a business, we deliver fruit and milk to, to any, any sort of business, just in Melbourne. Yeah, so every dollar we make goes back into um, making employment or giving someone else a chance. Yeah? Nobody gets rich at the top. So we're not asking for anything for, anything for free. It's a service.
0: Yeah, and we'll share all the links and everything as well. And we'd definitely like to keep in touch with you and when this COVID is over, which everyone, we all keep saying, when this is all over. But yeah, we'll definitely catch up with you again and keep up with what you're doing. And the other thing is I always say to people out there who have an opportunity to employ people that maybe they could consider people who have been in jail before. Like, But would you have advice, you're an employer, would you have advice for employers when it comes to interviewing people and someone says, okay, look, I've been to jail. How do you talk to them about that? How do you suss out when they are ready for employment? How do you support them? How do you support someone who's just come out of jail and is now in your
2: business? Do you know, even, even at Fruit to Work, even though we know someone's come out of jail, do you, do you know we still do a crim check? Okay. So and before we do a crim check, I'll ask whoever we're about to employ... What they've done so so because we base our employment or we base our program on honesty and integrity You're right so so you know i when employing someone, I would advise everybody to 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 do the same, base their employment on honesty and integrity, just because they've got a criminal record. it doesn't mean they're still a criminal it doesn't you know everybody makes mistakes. Does that mistake have to last for life? No. You know, ask them, do you have a criminal record? What was it about? What happened? Do the crim check. If it matches up, all well and good. You know, why, why does that person have to be labelled for life? No.
0: So even though you know they have just, just come out of jail, you do the crim check and you just want to see that it matches up, that they're being completely honest with you. And if they are, that's a positive start.
2: Exactly. That's that, 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 exactly. Okay. If I'm going to give somebody a key, keys to a van and a fuel card mm-hmm. and a, and a Coles card, you know, and and a, and, a, and a key to the factory, we've got to start with some honesty straight up and no bullshit policy. This is where we're going to be. Yep. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's a really good pragmatic piece of advice. We can use that. That's unreal. Thank you, Simon. Yeah. yeah. One more question. How are your kids now? What are they up to? I mean, how's the relationship?
2: Okay, so, so my oldest son, who's 20, he's, been, he's still been a little bit of hard work. Um, it's taken me three and a half years, and I'm making baby steps to a relationship. You know, there's just been too many times that I've let him down in the past. My daughter, I see her all the time. Uh, she's 16 years old.
0: Pancake parlour.
2: Pancake Parlour girl, yeah, yep. We get along like a house on fire. Yep. She's a beautiful girl. Um, and I've got a, a six-year-old boy who lives in Mildura and he comes down every holidays and he, he's, a, he's a beautiful boy. But I've also got a new partner who have been together for two and a half years and she's got three daughters, a 10-year-old girl and a couple of daughters in, in their 20s. So I've got a, you know, I now have an accepting family. Yeah, I've got a family who know who I am and what I've done, but I've got a family. Once my family died, I didn't feel like I belonged anywhere. Yeah. I belong somewhere now.
0: Yeah, you're clearly a family guy. So I can understand yeah. how, yes, feeling you had no family must have made you feel like you were just adrift.
2: I felt nowhere. Yeah, I didn't didn't feel like I belonged, you know? Because I was on drugs, I felt I was ashamed of what I had left. Yeah. So yeah, you know, I was ashamed it was embarrassed I was embarrassment to my brother, I felt. And I was ashamed of myself to my kids. So you know, I felt like my kids could do better. Luckily, my kids got a great mum, you know, she's a great woman and they got a great stepdad. So, you know, again, I've been very fortunate too, yeah.
0: Yeah, and you're setting yourself up to be a fantastic granddad. That's my that's, feeling. Yeah,
2: that's, that's the go. <laughs> that's the go. Yeah,
0: wonderful. Oh, well done. Congratulations.
2: Thanks, Michelle.
0: Thank you to Simon Fennick, whose book Breaking Good is out now. Thank you for downloading this episode of Australian True Crime, made in association with the Acast Creator Network. And thank you to the following patrons: Zaylee Dempster, Jesse Sternfist, Libby, Emma Saville, Jordan Mildred, Kelly Gibson, and Sarah Lidkey. Because of them, we'll be back next week.